We're one week away from this thing that we've been planning forever, it seems like. One week away, next Sunday morning, no early service, remember that. Come together here, 9 o'clock, everybody come in here. We're not going to have regular classes, everybody's going to come in here, David Shannon's going to speak. Then at 10 o'clock, worship will speak again. We urge you, bring friends, bring family, you'll want to hear this and you want to be part of this. And go out, take them out to eat, take them to your house, prepare a meal for them, whatever. And then come back that night at 5 o'clock. I know we say it's for young people, but you'll want to hear this guy again, and you'll want to hear that voluminous singing uh, that Jake Wallace is going to lead us in. It's going to be well worth coming back for. So also remember this. this is weird. How, how many of you received that presidential track that David Shannon's on in the mail? Anybody receive that little, little like, card like this? Anybody? Some of you did some. They sent out like a thousand of those things all around Jonesboro, so we're not the only ones advertising this. Freed Hardeman wants you to come here, the president, the new president. So at 4 o'clock, the admissions team at Freed Hardeman will be with the president, and he's, they're, they're going to set up probably in the elders' room in there, and they're going to have an information session for any parents who are within a year or two of sending your kids to college. It doesn't matter whether you go to Freed Hardeman. They don't care about that. They're just going to tell you all sorts of information about how to prepare for your kids to go to college. So if you're just wondering, what do I do? How do I prepare for that? Come at 4 o'clock. That's just a little earlier than 5. If you want to participate in that, it's no big deal if you don't, but it's a great blessing if, uh, if you're just kind of new to all that stuff and want to hear that. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week. I've got to say one thing about Dusty Hamlet. I, don't, I didn't get a bulletin today, so I don't, was there a college focus this week? Who was it? Who? Heather who? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Heather. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, last week it was Dusty, and I meant to say this, but I, I, I don't know. Anyway, so let me tell you about Dusty. He says the preacher here is awesome. That's why he's here. So I've got to really applaud him for his truth-telling, okay? I've got to tell him, you know. But what I want to tell you about him is there were times his dad had some terrible accidents that happened to him, and he was out a lot. I can remember on one hand the number of times Dusty wasn't at church, even on his own, when his parents couldn't be. I just got to tell you that. This is one special kid. So I say kid, he's getting up there, you know. So I have to brag on him a little bit. That's the way he was growing up, and that's the way he is here. And he comes to the college group, and he loves this college group, and there's some cool things going on, and, and also the fits are with him. But, but anyway, there's some neat things going on with the college people, and I just love seeing them together, and he's a great influence. He's a great kid. I just got to brag about him. We're in Exodus chapter 15. Be making your way there. We're going to do some cruising. I know from talking to people, we have some journalers here. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But some people who, who take to pen and paper or more likely a, a computer screen and you, and you record some of the things that have happened to you. Maybe you do this uh, once a week or a couple times a week or, or maybe you do a prayer journal and you just you write in there the things that have happened and the things that you're praying for. But, but this is very helpful because you not only write down the events that, that happened, but you write down what you're feeling about them and some observations about them. And those big things that happen in life you think you'll remember forever, you won't if you don't write them down somewhere. You will easily forget those. Uh, Michael comes back with a group from Houston. He says, I just got to tell you this. And now some of you heard this story. It's a great story. But, but they, were, they were working with young people in the inner city, and each one of those kids kind of adopted a kid, you know, or two, and, and worked with them and did some stuff with them. And at the end of the week, at the time, Michael says, what I want you to do is, is I, want you to, I want you to take that little person that you're working with. I want you to tell them you love them. 
right? And so these kids talk about how they shared their feelings with these kids, and everybody was in tears as they, as they shared kind of the experience of talking about telling their love for these kids. But Colin, Colin Lamerson had a different experience than anybody else. Because when it came time for him to do it, he looked at this kid and he said, I just got to tell you, man, I love you. And the kid looked at him and said, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? And he gets up real mad and leaves, and that's the last time Colin sees him. He thinks it's gross for a guy to tell him he loves him. Now, that's the kind of thing you got to put in a journal, y'all. When something like that happens, you got to write that down, because that's funny. I don't care who you are. And then, and then you've got those experiences like the Leafs are having right now. And right now, in the midst of this, it's all-consuming, and the emotions they feel and the thoughts they have need to be written down. Because as powerful as they are right now, time even takes those things away. And you need to write those things down and talk about them or, or, or share those feelings and, and write them and record them. I've done that when Abby had her experience there and I turned it into a, a scrapbook thing that I still cherish for the rest of my life. If our house burns down, that's the number one thing I go back and get because I want to remember that stuff that so easily time can steal from you. What you get in the book of Exodus, especially chapters 15 through 19, is several months of what happens, eight or nine weeks for sure, a time period here, of what happens between leaving Egypt and getting to Mount Sinai. And there's probably a lot of things that happen to a group of people, but these that they record are recorded for a reason and for our learning, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. And these are the things that Moses says, you know, this is what we need to remember. We need to write these things down. Because... Uh, because you'll forget. If you go to Wendy's tonight for whatever reason, you eat there and they burn your burger, you're probably not going to remember that very long. I mean, it's going to annoy you or whatever, but it's not going to mess up your life. But if you're stopping there to go to Wendy's and somebody hits you from the back and, and messes up your neck for a long time, you're going to remember that. You'll put that in a journal. The things that you remember, you remember because it did something to your life. And so Moses records these things because they need to learn them. Exodus chapter 15 is the first one. Scene number one, right after they cross the Red Sea, now they're out and they don't have to worry about Egypt anymore. They're out into the wilderness. And this is a picture from this. And, and, and what happens is they get to Marah. They get to Marah at three days without water. Imagine all those people in the wilderness without much water, and they finally get to a watering spot, and they get there anticipating with every fiber of their being, drinking to their heart's content, and they start drinking the water, and it's bitter. They have to spit it out. They can't drink it. And they cry out to Moses. It says they grumble to Moses. And Moses talks to God. And God says, I don't understand this, but he says, pick up this tree. So he picks up this tree or this log, throws it in the water, and the water becomes sweet, and they all drink. But the weird thing is, and the thing that he wants them to remember, I want you to, to join me at chapter 15. There the Lord made them a statute and a rule. He says, here's a deal, guys. I'm going to lead you through the wilderness and I'm going to test you as you go through the wilderness. I want you to know right now, we're getting to know each other. God says, you're getting to know me, I'm getting to know you. We're going to have a test. And here's what, if you will listen to my voice, <clears throat> if you will do what is right in my eyes, and you will give ear to my commandments, and you'll keep my statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. You know those things you saw I did to them? I won't do that to you if you listen to me. I'm the Lord, your healer. 
And then he led them to a paradise, Elam, where there's plenty of springs and palm trees where they got to have a, a, a holiday for a time, right? That's scene number one. He sets up this test and says, listen, if you'll just listen to me and you'll follow my lead, just listen and do what I tell you, I'm going to keep you healthy. Scene number two, chapter 16. This is some five weeks later on the 15th day of the second month after they left. Israel again grumbles against Aaron and Moses. This time it's because they don't like the diet. We wish we have died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. It's not that they were going hungry. They had food. They had their livestock with them. They had cattle, right? It's they aren't getting the amount they want and the selection they want. And they grumble to Moses. And God doesn't get on to him. He responds to Moses. Here's what I'm going to do. He doesn't, again, he doesn't reprimand the people. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't lose his cool. God just looks at it very indifferently, very distant. And he says to them, and he appears to them in a cloud, right? And in the evening, he says, you're going to eat meat. And in the morning, you're going to eat bread. And you're going to know that this came from me, he says. I don't want you just to be satisfied. I want you to be satisfied and know that I'm the one who gave it to you. Because I'm teaching you that I'm uh, more than capable of taking care of you. And sure enough, quail comes up, right, in the morning, and it co- or in the evening, and the, and the morning dew brings the camp, uh, this white stuff on the ground. And this dew came, and all of a sudden there was white stuff all over the ground, and it was described as a fine flake-like wafer, right? And the people go around, and the Hebrews saying, man, huh? Manha, what is this? What's well, manna? They name it manna from what? That's what it, what is it? And, and so that's how they come up with a name. Special stuff. It was very versatile. You read in the text why you can bake it, you can boil it, you can eat it raw. And if it were the south, you could also deep fry it. But it's not there yet, okay? You can do anything you want with this stuff. It's very, and it tastes a little bit like chicken. <laughs> It doesn't say, it tastes a little bit like honey. Any idea why God would give it a little bit of a honey flavor? The promised land is the land of milk and honey, and I want to give you a taste for it, right? Just a little bit of a honey tint to it. And every morning you go out there and you gather an omer of this stuff, he says. And I want you to know it's going to come with the dew, and you've got to get out there in the morning. You've got to gather enough for the day, because once the dew is done, and the wafer stuff is out there, and then the sun comes up and it melts it, and that's all for the day. That's all you got. I'm not going to, make, not going to bring you anymore. You've got to get your whole omer. And, but, but on the sixth day, he says, I want you to gather a couple of those. Because unlike any other day, it's not going to spoil overnight. It's going to be there for the Sabbath, because I'm not sending you any for the Sabbath. And this is the first time the Sabbath is mentioned. So he's training them to take a day off and let God run the world without their help for a day. And you know what they do. The test comes because they fail this. There's a few of them that don't gather enough. They go a little bit hungry. There's some of them that don't gather on the sixth day. They get up on the seventh day thinking that they'll, they'll find it, but they didn't listen. They didn't understand why that day should be any different, and the test was clear. God was specific in his words. And those who listened were fine, those who didn't went hungry. And the Lord had this to say, how long will you not listen to me? The manna, you see, is a test. I will take care of you each day for its day. 
That's why in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Just enough for today. To record this as graphically as possible, he says, I want you to grab a jar, and I want you to put some of this manna in it. Put the lid on that jar, and I want you to keep it forever. I want you to remember how God led you through the wilderness all those 40 years because for 40 years until they made it to the promised land, that, that manna was there every single morning. Well, except Sabbath mornings. Do you remember what all they put in the ark for posterity's sake? You had first the manna, and then you had the Ten Commandments, and then you had Aaron's budding rod, and the first that came was God's provision for the day. That's worth remembering. The first time manna comes, that's worth remembering. So this all happens in chapter 16. It turns over to chapter 17, and this is a more famous scene, as shown by this picture. You'll be very familiar. This is a few weeks later, apparently. And this got Moses' attention. He says, we need to record this too. They're camped at Rephidim. There's no water. And the people, this time, instead of grumbling, they're quarreling with Moses. It's a little stronger. They're getting a little fussy. They've been in the wilderness, living out of a suitcase, camping for eight, nine weeks now. Fuses are a little low. And they gripe because often a gripe against God's leaders is really a gripe against God. They no longer asked or cried. Now they demanded. It's not, will you please give us water, do something about this. Give us water to drink. We're entitled to it. It's getting a bit ugly. Why'd you bring us out of Egypt anyway? We could have died of thirst there in Egypt if you wanted us to. And the most troublesome line is the last one of this particular text when it says, the people all tested God. Is he with us or not? They're actually asking, is God even with us at all? After all they've been through, they're going to ask God, where are you? That's sick. And so God says, I want you to have the elders walk in front of the people, and I want you to go on this rock, and I want you to strike this rock. And he struck the rock, and all this water comes pouring out of there enough for everybody. Those are the three incidents that Moses wants to record and make sure that everybody remembers. So as a journaler, you would not just write down these events that happened. You would make some observations. I want you to know something. God will test you as his person. Once he gives you his word and once he tells you what his will is, he will test you to see if you've listened at all. He will test you to give you a chance to see if you're going to trust his word or if you're going to venture out on his own. God's going to do that with all his people. He always does. He'll provide you with water, but he'll hold you out longer than you really want to in order to see if you're going to hang on and trust him or not. And what ends up happening is here are some signs that God's people are failing to trust, okay? God tests his people. If God's people grumble... It's a sign you're failing the test. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now here's a weird thing. It's only grumbling when you grumble among each other or talk about each other. If you grumble to God, it's not grumbling. What's it called when you grumble to God? Prayer. It's okay for you to grunt. You can grumble to God all you want to. If you cry out to God and you have to grumble and you complain, you go ahead. God says, I'm big enough to handle that. It's when you start talking among each other, grumbling about God's provisions, that's when God gets ticked off. Now, he doesn't get ticked off, by the way. 
before Exodus 20, before the Ten Commandments and the people agree to go into covenant with God. Until then, God is incredibly patient. But after the covenant is formed and after they've experienced God's provision and God's total presence, when they then grumble, God gets fierce. And suddenly you start seeing fire and serpents and the earth open and things. That's when God gets angry. He gives you time to get to know Him and trust Him. Grumbling. God can't stand it. And when you grumble and you complain to someone else, oh, God takes offense to it. But if you go straight to Him with it, God has no problem with it. None at all. So go ahead and grumble to Him. It's okay. Just don't talk behind His back, okay? And then He says, you kind of up the ante a little bit. When you start quarreling and fussing with people, you see, this is why you've got to be careful about fussing to the elders all the time or about the elders. Go fuss to the elders. It's okay. It's when you fuss about them behind their backs. God can't stand that either because it's a fine line between grumbling against God and grumbling against the leaders God puts over you. It's a fine line in the eyes of God. So be real careful how you do that. Real, real careful. And certainly no quarreling and fussing that way. And then, and then it's like when you start going, uh, when you start looking at your past life as though it's better than the life that God's leading you now, you can't stand that. When they kept going, you know, it was so good back there in Egypt. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that great. You know the only thing good about the good old days? Is they're gone. That's what Phil Rampey told me. I only know that because Phil Rampey told me that. You know what's good about the good old days? They're gone. Everybody talks about how great it was to go get, you know, get that pail of water and bring it in when you didn't have running water. Oh, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting something, right? And so when you start, grunt, you start complaining about how it used to be better and God's not making your life any better, oh, be careful with that. And finally, the entitlement, that sense of God owes you something. Listen, God doesn't owe you anything. And if you start feeling that sense of entitlement, be real careful with that. So the people are being tested by God and they're failing the test. God, as far as it reveals God, God is present for every one of these and he's so patient with the people. And he's so advancing this relationship. But as we look at the rest of what Paul, Paul what Moses records about this, there's other places where he mentions these stories and he says these are the things we should have learned and the first one is God can be trusted to sustain his people. I want you to see this in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. When God has Moses reviewing the wilderness experience with him. And here's what Moses said. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I want you to know the whole thing was a, was a, was a test. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and then he fed you with manna. Why do you think God let them hunger before he fed them? Why would any parent let a kid get hungry before feeding them? I try to think about that. Why would a parent ever do that? I, you're driving along, and, and the kids are all saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and you know it's only 30 minutes before you get to this one, and instead of giving them some junk stuff at a gas station, just wait 30 more minutes. I know, I know in 30 minutes you're going to be okay, and it's going to be a great experience. 
But you're sitting there in that 30 minutes thinking, why are my parents abusing me like this? You started getting your cell phone and calling the 1-800 number of child abuse and all that. Maybe they know something. Maybe they know something that's good for you. I don't know. But anyway, he says, I let you hunger and fed you with manner which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. God came totally out of the blue to satisfy their hunger. Totally out of anybody's imagination, created manna to satisfy the hunger. That's an amazing thing. It says something about God. So that you'll know that not every that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord does not live on bread alone. Your clothing never wore out. Your foot did not swell those 40 years. They wore the same pair of sandals on, day, on year 40 that they did on year one. Have you ever had a pair of sandals last more than a summer? God took care of them. Moses in Deuteronomy is looking back on the experience we just read about in chapters 15, 16, and 17. And he says, you know what you should have learned? God is more than capable of taking care of and sustaining his people. And I want you to know we're being led in this even right now through what we've experienced as a church in the last few months. God will sustain his people. He will take care of them. He will hold them up. And you can go through some trying things, but we can never question whether God's present with us. We have no right to do that. He's been too good to us. And another thing you might know. I've spoken this to Abby so many times from all our experiences. Is you can't let little things bother you anymore because you've been to the major leagues and God has proven himself faithful. No excuses for a lack of faith from this point forward, given what he's done for you. And that's what Moses is trying to say from these experiences, looking back on these. Another one is, if we obey God, we will be a blessed people. Can we follow God's instructions? Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, Moses, looking back on these events that we just talked about, says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa, which is where he struck the rock. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Just do what God tells you. If you'll learn this, and there are so many people over and over again, God keeps telling us and we keep not listening. The third one is remember. The journal is for remembering Keep it in your memory. The jar of manna is for them to never forget. So that even Paul talks about our journal events from chapters 14, 15, 15, 16, and 17. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. Listen very carefully because this is us. We're no longer talking about Moses looking at the near past, right? We're looking at Paul. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, which is what? Manna. And they drank the same spiritual drink, which is what? Water from a rock. They all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. And yet, most of them God was not pleased with, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. These things took place as examples for us. This journal from Exodus about what happened back there is not some ancient history we dust off and say, well, those people were such idiots. It's for us. And here's what the truth is. They experienced God's amazing provision day in and day out, and yet they lost the grace of God. Do you get that? 
How many of them kept the faith and were still faithful 40 years later? They had the provisions from God. They had the spiritual food. God sustained them. They had the spiritual water. God sustained them. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, you have the Lord's Supper. You have that sustaining. You have baptism. You've experienced this incredible cleansing from God. And yet many, he says to the Corinthians, many of you are forfeiting the grace of God and losing the salvation he has given you and is willing to sustain in you. Be careful, church. It's a rumor, a vicious rumor in the religious world that once you experience these great provisions, you cannot fall away. It is a total lie. We should know better because the people in the wilderness have demonstrated for us very clearly you can have great provisions from God and just stick your fist in his face and say, it's not enough for me. And God says, see you later. I won't put up with this forever. One other thing, today God feeds us too. We have manna, bread from heaven. We better appreciate it. We better consume it. We better ingest it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not from my own will, but from the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus, John chapter 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I'll raise him up in the last day. And the Jews, what did they do when they heard his bread of life discussion? I am the bread of life. I am the manna of God who gives you nourishment. What did they do, church? What did the original Jewish hearers of Jesus' sermon do? Grumbled. Boy, does that sound familiar. I don't like this truth. If we were to finish this line, you know what ends up happening. He tells, he tells them, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood if you want to have any chance of eternal life and life with the Father. You must consume me. You must take the words of Jesus and the identity of Jesus and you take it in without question. It soaks into the fat cells of your body and then your body burns it and it comes out in Jesus in you. It comes out that way. And you've got to consume Jesus like this. And you know what? They walked away thinking, ooh, that's a little much. And Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, are you going to walk away too? And what does Peter say? Where shall we go? You have the words of life. You are the only source of spiritual life for us. They had this opportunity in the wilderness, and they shirked it. We have this opportunity today. Through Christ, we must not do the same. We must consume and ingest Him and make Him part of our lives forever. There are so many other benefits to be gleaned from these recordings, but these are enough. Except for one more. Israel witnessed the provisions and the sustaining power of God, and yet they refused to believe Him. They heard God's words, and they didn't listen. And they failed to trust. It was a test, 
and they failed, total F. But there was one who came along from within Israel who did witness God's provision and sustenance, and he obeyed perfectly. He heard the words of God, and he conveyed them perfectly. He, too, was driven into the wilderness to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he passed the test with flying colors. And because he did, we can too. He succeeded and became the bread of life for us that we can consume and have eternal life. Israel had that food they could go out and gather and eat, and it would sustain them for years, and they failed. We have this bread in abundance all the time, right in front of us, at our disposal at any time. Not just in the morning, but any time. The words of Jesus. Will we do any better? Will we prove to be any more faithful with the provisions that God has given us than the Israelites were? It's all up to us, each of us, to decide. This journal entry is one for us to go back and look at and say, wow, all this they had and they didn't take advantage of it. All this we have. Do you take advantage of it? Have you chosen to consume him? Ingest him as the son of God and make him part of your life if you have? You're here tonight going, tell me more, tell me more. I want to know about this journal. I want to, I want to walk and I'm going, to, I'm going to let him come out in me all this week as I live and move and have my being. But if you've not, I want you to know you're spiritually dead. You need the life that only God can give you through the words of his son. You must have those and you must take those in and without question consume them. That's the test. Every person has the test. Are you going to take him and consume him or not. And it's all up to you. Are you passing or failing? Well, the test is here again. You have another opportunity to decide, am I going to do this better this time? Here's another shot I've got. The words of Jesus are here. He's present with us, and he's beckoning you to come. But it's all up to you as we stand and as we sing.